0: or toll free
1: at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. I hope you've got your umbrellas. It's about to rain. <laughs> Cue the violin in the background, right? Yeah. I should have had a hot... Key ready for a violin. But Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central, Alabama. For the Monday edition of the show, we're going to be talking about our impressions of Auburn's 43-34 loss to Mississippi State. We'll have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the show with us, as well as we will take a look at some of the other games that's happened in college football this past weekend. We'll talk some college basketball as well. Our takes on Auburn basketball after the first two games of the season. They took down Louisiana Monroe on Friday, but that is a distant dream. All of my football teams went 0 and 3 across the weekend. It has been tough for me on the football front. It's basketball season, baby. I said that jokingly last week. No way, man. We got Gavitt tip-off games tonight. Illinois is playing Marquette. Providence is playing Wisconsin. I don't need Auburn football. I have I have basketball season, guys. What's football?
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. To be honest with you, uh, I I enjoyed the uh, Villanova UCLA game on Friday night much more than I enjoyed any second. Of the Auburn Mississippi State matchup, just straight any up. second, any second, not one second, because I, I felt in the back uh, and the back of my mind, I'm like, there are two things that are going to come from this. Either Mississippi State's going to come, come back and make it close, and everybody's going to be like, that's the excuse, Auburn's not that good, or the national media will find some way to kind of just uh, excuse Auburn's massive win they're about to have over Mississippi State. Neither of those two things happen. I was happen. just about to say, in yeah, a way, it's like you didn't can't...
1: leave a window open for blowing a 28-3 to lead?
2: No. no. <laughs> Neither
1: did the people in front of me at the ball game. There was a lady in front of me at the game that said to her husband when Auburn got up like 28-3 to 3, midway through the second quarter, she said, do you think we're going to be rolling tumors this evening? And he said, hold on, it's just the second quarter. So respect to that guy. He knew what yeah. was coming. Yeah. And
2: I tapped him on the shoulder in the fourth quarter, and I said, man, you were right. Unfortunately, but you were right. Anytime I watch any – any sports-related event with my dad, but specifically Auburn-related events, it could be anything. And I'll be like, oh, Auburn's up. He, even if there's like two minutes left in a basketball game, he's like, there's a lot of ball left to be played. I'm like, Dad, we're up by nine. What are you talking about? He's like, just watch. It's like, I've seen things, dude.
1: And now we have as well. Impressions of Auburn's 43-34 to loss to Mississippi State. I'll say this. When I was leaving the stadium on Saturday, as I was walking out, I didn't get the vibe that people were angry. No. Of course, in the stadium, people were mad, and Sting is saying to us right now that he was livid, but I didn't get the feeling as people were leaving that they were angry. I Obviously, you get that vibe while you're in the stadium because people were mad enough to be just shouting profanities all across the field, mm-hmm. obviously, at referees and whatnot. They were livid at that. They were livid at the fact that they blew the lead, but... As you're leaving the ball game, I didn't get the feeling that anybody was mad. It was kind of like disbelief and apathy. Yep. It's like, wow, this is new, right? Like, we haven't been at this level before. We haven't seen this before. We've seen similar things. We've seen Auburn blow leads. We've seen Auburn lose in head-scratching ways, but this one kind of took it to a whole other level, and that was kind of – I mean, people were kind of laughing it off almost as they were leaving the stadium on Saturday, and I got the vibe of apathy again inside
2: the fan base for the first time this season, and that that kind of stinks. This is something that, like you mentioned, a lot of Auburn fans have not experienced before, this level of a collapse, and I, after the game didn't find myself angry in fact immediately following the game actually with a couple minutes left in the game i started writing my five losers article on auburn wire and i was not angry i just felt numb were you like one of sh- them were you one of the losers i was well i didn't i, I think I, we were all losers I, on saturday i could have put that in the article i could have put the student section in the article as well but uh yeah it was just actually i did put it at the very end just the entire team I'd, i've not done that yet this season but the entire team not because like duh they lost but because not a single performance I think stood out in that game that would have been like wow that's fantastic that would have gotten us a win over Mississippi State obviously because it didn't
1: you bring up the student section I want to talk about Bo Nix's quote obviously that was getting some real tread on social media and folks were not looking at the entire quote that that he had And Jordan Hill of the Opelika Auburn News released that full quote and once you read the full quote you see that he was not blaming the loss on the fan base Everything that Bo Nix said in that post game comment, and I think people have come around to that now that they have seen the full quote. But everything that he said in there was true. Mm-hmm. Midway through the second quarter, it occurred to me. I was like, "Wow, this stadium's quiet. Nobody's cheering anymore." You know, when when Auburn got up twenty eight to three, there was a tangible, as Bo Nix called it, mellowing out of the stadium. That's true. I don't think Bo was blaming the fan base. For Auburn losing that game on Saturday, he took responsibility in the second half of that quote. And if you haven't seen the full quote, go and read it. It'll change your perspective, I think, of what people were saying that he was saying, but that, that's not what he was saying at all. I thought the stadium mellowed out. Obviously, the students left at halftime up 28 to 10. I didn't know an 18-point lead was grounds for leaving at halftime. It was old Miss of 2019 all over again, except it was a day game and it was actually kind of hot. At 11 a.m., it was hotter than I was expecting it to be. Maybe that was because the sun was beating down. But let's just say you didn't have a reason to lose it or to leave at halftime mm-hmm. of this ball game. It's 11 a.m. kickoff. There, there was nothing to go and do that day, and so I'm just not, I'm not super pleased with the student section, and I don't think many people are. It's hard to defend that, but I don't think that Bo Nix was blaming it on the stadium, but the stadium did lose energy about midway through that second quarter and it was never regained until you started seeing the animosity towards the calls on the field as well as Mm -hmm. when you finally
2: had to start getting loud about key defensive stops that just never came exactly I will I'll say this about the student section you know for the the everybody in the stadium on Saturday and I think this goes for for all Auburn games and, and just games in general look you don't have to be like all in 100% like crazy invested in the in your school and your team to go and watch a a performance like like a football game. But if you're going to show up at 11am for Auburn versus Mississippi State, some people I believe in that stadium You have to be aware of the fact that Mississippi State has done things like beating Texas A&M on the road in College Station this year. It's an SEC opponent. At least some people that were in that stadium know that. Why you would leave, like you said, I don't think 18 points is grounds for leaving a college football game at halftime. There was so much time for Mississippi State to get back into that game. And people leaving at halftime saw them kind of start to build momentum as half as the half got closer, I even wrote about it. I was like, Auburn's going to have to shut down this Mississippi State momentum or things are going to go bad, and they did. It's like if you're watching that game, you can't leave at that time just because you're cold or it's over or you're disinterested. As a fan of the school, stick with it at least un- at least until you know that it's out of hand.
1: And I want to reiterate something real quick before we let Sting come on because he was in the student section on Saturday. I want to reiterate something: Auburn did not lose because of the fan base. No, Auburn did not lose because the stadium mellowed out. Auburn did not lose because the student section left at halftime. That is not true whatsoever. This is just an impression during the ball game. Obviously. I've talked to coaches who have been on the good side of this, and I've talked to coaches who have been on the bad side of this that have seen massive leads slip, or they have been the ones taking the massive lead away from the other team. I once watched a comeback similar to this in high school a couple of years ago. Lincoln was playing handley. It was like a 24-point comeback in the second half alone. They came back from a very large deficit, and that coach at the time – Talk to me. I talked to him about it after the ball game, and he was saying, "Look, I've been on the bad side. I've been on the good side of these things. And when you're on the good side of it, you're getting all the momentum. You feel like you can do no wrong. Look at Will Rogers' stat line. He was 44 for 55 for like 476 yards and six touchdowns. He really didn't do a whole lot wrong. The Mississippi State offense didn't do a whole lot wrong. But he also said on the flip side, when you're on the bad side of things, you feel like you can't do anything right, and it's hard to get any type of momentum to stop that at some point." the flood happens and the gates open, and that's what happened with Auburn on Saturday. Simply put, and there was a lot of things Auburn could have done, I felt like, in the second half to stem the tide, and they just didn't do it. They never made an adjustment in the second half. They weren't able to get things going on the ground. They needed a better running game. They didn't get that going. They squandered one of the best games in Bo Nix's career against a solid SEC team. Another, honestly, I shouldn't say one of. Honestly, at this point, he's racking up games like this this season. He did it against Ole Miss. He did it against Arkansas. He did it against Mississippi State. This isn't the first time we've seen it this year. It wasn't an anomaly. He played great, and they squandered it. Sting.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to say I wanted to kind of say my piece as I'm a current student. You know, I've been sitting in that section for the last several years. And particularly that section that was the most gutted as far as people leaving was the section right underneath the video board. I just want to give you guys a guess what that general area, all the people that sit there have in common.
1: There is a large Greek portion. They all,
3: they all wear Greek letters on their shirt. And I would, personally, I would like to see them stop getting block seating for that because that's ridiculous. You you showed up all that time in advance just yeah. to leave at 1230 right. in the afternoon. And I don't, care if it was because well you think it was over or you wanted to go drink or something you should stay for the entire time and I think there's a significant portion of the student body at least that I feel I feel like I've noticed a change that are entitled to I guess victory in a way if that makes sense it's, it's I've been really disappointed in the student body over the last year and a half when it comes to football
1: I don't think you can account last year, right? Because maybe nobody's not. there. That's fair. But maybe you
3: mean into 2019. May- maybe I do, yeah. That whole last year really is kind of just a whirlwind. But yeah, I just... And it's really disappointed me because... But
1: on the flip side, I think you have to give a lot of credit to student support in basketball that they're willing yes. to get there as early as they are for Louisiana Monroe or for Moorhead State.
3: But I don't think a particularly large portion of those people that are there on the court and student section are... In Greek life. Some of them are, sure, but there's On the not... flip
1: side, though, did you look across the stadium and see how many people were leaving with about 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter? Yeah, I did, and at that point, yeah. So that's... I think apathy hit regardless. Yeah. Now, halftime, time point, I'm spread, with you. It shouldn't right. happen, but apathy hit on Saturday. I really do feel like that was a tangible thing inside the stadium as everybody was like... Yeah. In such disbelief that they weren't even angry. I'm
3: just, I'm just sick and tired of sitting in that section and hearing people just dog their own team. You know, And nothing drives me crazier than when those students that, I'm, that are all sitting around me start booing Auburn. That drives me up the wall because it's ridiculous. It's, it, it serves no purpose. You look terrible when you do it. And I just – as a student, I would like to believe that our student body is the best there is in America. And it's not. They're proving that to me. And it, it is disappointing
2: Lance, on-the-field impressions, how did the tsunami happen? Well, I will say this as my my first initial on-the-field impression. Uh, it, it was my, my, my predictions, not necessarily predictions, my, my assumptions in September after that Penn State game. One of my knee-jerk reactions was, how are we going to look against Mississippi State if we're letting Sean Clifford dink and dunk on us all game? and I thought that this was going to be a, just a nightmare matchup. Heading into it this week, I felt a lot more confident about it because of the way Auburn has been playing defense, but my, my, my September assumptions were confirmed in this game. Will Rogers did whatever he wanted to. Auburn sent no pressure and got no pressure, and it, it, was, it was just a, a worse version of what happened at Penn State and honestly, if Penn State elected to to uh, throw the ball like, like Mississippi State did, they would have probably have the same amount of success, at least I feel like. So it's very similar to the way that, that Penn State play game played out for me, except uh, Auburn didn't have a 28-3 to lead in that game, and uh, Mississippi State throws the ball a lot more. So it was just – that was one of my initial impressions of, like, man – Auburn sometimes just does not make adjustments on the defensive side of the ball, and it, it, is, it has come back to hurt them in a couple of different games this season.
1: Well, let's open it up on the defense then. Let's talk about that side of the ball first instead of the offense. We could talk about the offense for a long time too, I think, but the defense is catching a lot of blame at rightfully slow. You blow a 28-3 to lead a lot of times that is on the defenses, especially with as hot of a hand as the offense had against a good defense across the first quarter and a half, how does the defense fail to make any adjustments over the last two and a half quarters to allow a team to run the table and go 40 unanswered on you? That's just wild to me. And At some point, I think you've got to realize that you have to send more than three or four on a play if Auburn was sending four on a regular basis, which was not the case, if Auburn was sending four on a regular basis, then I would be a little bit more okay with heaping some of the blame or the criticism on the pass rush. But it's easy to block three on five. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very easy. Two guys are getting a double team, and one guy's getting a one-on-one. And Auburn's pass rush is not good enough. They've proven it time and time again. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Auburn's pass rush is good this year. It's not. It's above average, I think, but above average pass rushes are not going to win consistently if you're only bringing three. They're just not because you get to double-team two-thirds of the pass rush. You're not beating two guys. That's over 600 pounds of force blocking one person that is half of that. Not even.
2: It's simple physics. And so my question is, when do the adjustments come? And they didn't. And so my question is, why did the adjustments not come? And it's for maybe uh, an excuse I think you could make is maybe Derek Mason just thinks he doesn't have the guys to get home, and this is the best option for Auburn. And I really don't believe that because if that is the best option for Auburn to not to just rush three and to just not send any pressure, then they would have had some really tough times getting through games like Mississippi or Ole Miss rather in Arkansas and teams that have offensive firepower that they've played so far this season. They would have lost those games. The defense was able to actually hold up. So my question is, why are you continuing to do what you're doing against this air raid offense when it, where it is very clear, like it is undeniably clear, what you're doing is not working.
1: And they pitched a good game plan and a good performance through the first half they only had 10 given up through the first half so i understand in the locker room thinking all right guys just keep doing what you're doing keep executing and whatnot but it's clear that mississippi state was beginning to get the edge on you with the way that they ended that half and with the way they started the second half so at some point when it gets to 28 to 17 and they've scored two straight touchdowns and they're moving the ball at will you're like all right something has to change at this point right but that's not what happened. Almer just kept doing the same thing on defense the entire time. And I personally believe, and I could be wrong, and the coaching staff may have a different belief, but what do they think of this secondary that they're so afraid to blitz? That they're so afraid to pull guys out of coverage? Is it just a scheme thing that they want to drop back into cover three, that they want to drop back into zone coverage and make sure they keep everything in front of you? Or which would hurt you a little bit if you did start blitzing linebackers and whatnot because then you've got less guys in coverage and there's more gaps in the zone. But I would counter with there's also less time for you to find the gaps in the zone. There's less time for your receivers to get into those holes. And so I'm asking myself, what does this coaching staff and how does this coaching staff view the secondary because they've been unwilling to blitz all year long? And I think previous years, especially last season, which is why so many people were so high up on this Auburn secondary, even outside of the Auburn sphere – You go nationally. People respected this Auburn secondary coming into this year. Roger McCreary is a projected first-round draft pick by Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay. Major guys think that this guy's going to go day one in the NFL draft. That is excellent. There are very few teams in college football that have a round one cornerback. And Nehemiah Pritchett played a pretty good game until later on in the second half you start seeing some penalty markers coming his way and whatnot. But I thought Pritchett had a pretty good game Simpson wasn't one of his best I don't think but still Simpson is a good cornerback we saw that last year Tennyson's playing some of his best ball of the year Auburn's deep at cornerback so I'm trying to figure out why you don't take more risk with that good of a secondary back there
2: yeah I I I completely agree and and look I think it's very plausible that this coaching staff said at halftime okay, well, let's just keep doing what we're doing let's continue. But like you mentioned, 40 points later, you're still doing the exact same thing. When does that adjustment come? And like you mentioned, why is this coaching staff so scared of just pulling guys out of coverage and maybe adding a little bit more pressure? You've got to do something because you have given up progressively as the game has gone on, 14 points unanswered, 21 unanswered, and and so forth and so forth, and it amounted to 40, and they still weren't doing anything. And so I, I just don't understand. And I'll say this actually, th- it's not like they weren't doing anything. They did try and send pressure, and then TD Moultrie got called for targeting. And Which I just want to say that may be one of the most egregious calls I've ever seen. Was it textbook targeting? I think you could argue that, but I just don't, for it, I don't believe it was a defensive play, def- defenseless player. It was a guy with a ball in his hand that was trying to make a play. And then you saw later that night the exact same thing happened in the south carolina missouri game and nothing was called and so, was it targeting on kobe hudson was it uh yeah mm, i don't know I it mean, wasn't
1: severe of course kobe hudson did get hurt on the place so i don't want to say that that didn't shake him up or anything like that or that it didn't hurt obviously but what i'm trying to say is it wasn't as it didn't look as direct spearing him in the head so that's fortunate. like you On Hudson? Yes, yeah, like I that agree. is a blessing that that was not spearing him in the middle of that helmet, right? But it was still forcible contact to the head or neck area. It jerked his head. And a defenseless player on top of that. Like, I don't care if you're making a play on the ball. It doesn't matter if you're making yeah. a play
3: on the ball. T.D. Moultrie was making a play on the ball. That's what that, this rule is supposed to be preventing, right? Is defenseless players...
1: But getting... like you can't just go and make a play on the ball and do it however you want to. A face
2: mask is making a play on the ball. It's... I was trying to tackle the guy, but I got his face mask. Oops, sorry. Right, and so you can't you can't look at that as well and think about okay, well, like he was jumping, right? T.D. Moultrie was jumping. It's not like he was just jumping on top of Will Rogers just for fun. He was trying to prevent a pass from getting off, right? Yes. Because if it get if if Will Rogers somehow manages to get a pass off when Moultrie goes low, it's an incomplete pass right. instead of putting them out of field. With, Goal range.
3: Yeah, in my opinion, that sh- that shows that Moultrie has great instincts because he's thinking in the back of his head, I have a clear lane. The quarterback, he sees me coming, he's going to throw it. Right. So I need to try and get up and do something to disrupt that throw. It
1: right. even wasn't even that vicious of a hit, in my opinion. It no. didn't even look no. that hard. I was like, there's no way this goes for targeting. But of course, when it went to review, I was like, I expect them fully to come back and eject <laughs> him because of the fact that it was opposite day inside Jordan Harris Stadium mm-hmm. we'll be back with more here on on the line we'll talk about some of the officiating kind of our views on the targeting rule I've been talking about that a lot this season is that there need to be major changes to the targeting rule officiating is not why Auburn lost on Saturday but the targeting rule is a problem as well as the offense didn't put the game away either gotta finish we're still talking here on on the line You're on the line with Noah Gardner at Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. We are taking your calls. Coming up at 2.30 p.m., we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us on the show for the Monday edition of On the Line. Still talking about our impressions of Auburn's 43-34 loss to Mississippi State. I just kind of opened it up and said, let's go. We've got about five minutes until we head to break. Let's talk about the refs now i don't want to talk about things like pass interference or anything like that i don't want to talk about their performance in the game because they probably hit on 85 percent of their calls let's just be honest i don't think that they had this outrageously egregious game now people may think i'm an idiot for saying that but i don't think they had this outrageously egregious game there's just one rule that I have had beef with all season long, honestly, longer than that. But this year, it seems to be a plague around college football. So I don't want to talk about the refs. They're not the reason why Auburn lost. At the end of the day, Auburn had a 28-3 lead. They did not blow that because of the refs. At that point, you honestly should have been so far away that it didn't matter that a pass interference would go this way or that the targetings even happened. At some point, that, that should not have been an issue. But let's talk about targeting because something needs to change here. I was talking to a good friend of mine earlier today and he was saying that there's really only been a couple of minute changes to the rule since its inception back in the early 2010s. This is true. I can't think of too many rules or too many changes that have occurred to this individual rule here. They have made it where guys don't have to leave the field. They can stay on the sideline if they get ejected, but they still get ejected. And then they have made it where if they ruled that it was not targeting the 15 yards is taken off the field. Remember back in like 2013, if you got hit with targeting, that it stayed, like if they ruled that the guy shouldn't be ejected in the review, it was still a 15-yard penalty and how ridiculous that was. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two changes that we've made. But clearly every year, we talk about this nonstop. Every game probably, like 75% of games on Saturday, somebody out there is saying this rule is broken. How this hasn't been changed yet, I don't know.
2: I, I agree with you. It's, it seems like, I think the way that you said it was perfect, it's a plague across college football this year. It feels like, okay, guys, every time you call a targeting penalty, you get a free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich or something stupid like that. Like You get a free, free McDonald's bag cor- courtesy of Tennessee uh, Athletics.
1: Honestly, at this point, you could probably sponsor targeting inside every single football broadcast. This targeting <laughs> call is brought to you by Insert Collision Agency here. Just say
2: target. That would be perfect. Anyway, don't
1: slander Tarjay. Tarjay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It's it's a, it's uh, the way that they're calling it. this season is egregious. They have too
1: much respect to support such a call.
2: It's facts. That is facts. But I just don't. I just don't understand how they can look at situations like that and uh, the one specifically with T D Moultrie and then the one with Kobe Hudson and be like, that's not targeting. Oh, but this is.
1: And so, you hit the nail on the head earlier, saying by the book. It's feasible
2: that it they can be. argue that they went by the book. Right. My problem is the book is wrong. Right. That's exactly what I was trying to say earlier. It's like, that's stupid because you're ignoring the book, not just in other instances, but an instance that literally happened hours after that game happened with South Carolina Missouri. And whenever I say it was exact, I want to go back and watch it, but I watched it a few times already, but it was almost exactly What happened in the Auburn game, except the quarterback was a little bit more defenseless because he was trying to to either go down or get away from the pressure. He was trying to curl into a ball and die. But the Missouri (laughs) defender was like, no, I'm going to jump on top of you and tackle you and it's going to hurt. And TD Moultrie, like we just mentioned. Uh, and Sting made a really good point it's it's to to the point that he's really instinctive and he's aware and he's like I have to get up in case he tries to to throw this ball away because if you bring him down that takes them out of field goal range it was 36 to 28 Auburn still has life and it was proven by the fact that they got another stop because I believe they missed a field goal right later on in that game I believe they did, but I that, can't
3: remember if that was then. I think they. I pretty they, they scored, got. Up they two. scored because of that targeting call, and it was forty-three to twenty-eight.
1: Yeah. Yo, Mississippi State hit both uprights. They did. <laughs> they hit the right upright and it went in. They hit the left upright and it That's was gone. Right. Man, they should have kicker tryouts, and they are still, I think, having kicker tryouts in Starkville. Hurry, get your applications in. <laughs> we'll be back with more of on the line. Jeremy Law, Radio Alabama Sports, on the other side of this break.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Trying to make sense of a blown 28-3 lead. This has happened before in life, though. We've seen it happen in a Super Bowl, no less, with much, much better football players. So this is what it feels like. I feel for the Falcons fans and the Auburn fans out there, like the ones that are fans of both, tough existence, tough existence. <laughs> we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us here on the show. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man?
4: No, the only difference between the Falcons and Pats and Auburn and Mississippi State is the Patriots didn't have that that the talent discrepancy that Auburn should have had on the field on Saturday. I'm doing well. I told Sting to you know get you guys a prozac or something to cheer you up calm you down during this two this two-hour show i know you guys had a tough weekend
1: i'm doing pretty well honestly i left the game i said to myself football does not determine my happiness yep and I went to Fantasy and Lights at Callaway Gardens. I had a good old Saturday night. And then the Cleveland Browns, I turned that off at halftime as well because it was 31 or 24-7, to 7, whatever. Mac Jones still haunting my football teams. But, Jeremy, we'll talk to you a little bit about Alabama because Bryce Young's doing the same thing. He had an awesome day against New Mexico State. And you said this is exactly what you wanted to see out of this team when they went on to play New Mexico State. You said you wanted true and total domination, and there it was.
4: Well, the problem is, as Nick Saban said after the game, um, Alabama's going to play a much better team uh, this Saturday than they played against New Mexico State. And what is the, what's the designation for the offensive line? There's a lot of rumors coming out of Tuscaloosa right now that you might even see um, a, a third different center for the Crimson Tide this year, you don't. Uh, Owens might be back at right tackle. Javion Cohen's playing with a cast a week and a half after breaking his wrist. Um, there's a lot going on in Tuscaloosa. You have one running back that you really believe in right now because Trey Sanders, as high quality as he was out of high school, man, the guy shattered his pelvis in a car wreck. I mean, how, how many reliable reps are you going to be able to get out of Trey Sanders the rest of this year behind D-Rob? So Alabama's got a lot of questions, but I tell you, you know, Alabama the middle of the day on Saturday or during the middle of their game is thinking, we're going to have to go in Jordan here to win the West, and it's not going to turn out very well. And Auburn does what they did. A&M comes out and lays an egg, and Chris Doring says in, in, on SEC football final that he has no idea how Texas A&M beat Alabama. The Alabama fans are still asking themselves how Texas A&M beat Alabama because Zach Calzada – for two weeks in a row, has played pretty much terrible football. Can't, everything he throws is, a, um, is just an absolute dart. He has no touch on the football. And, uh, and Lane Kiffin finally gets a signature win for the first time that he's been at Ole Miss. And now Alabama, it sounds easy, but Alabama fans are still on edge. You say all you got to do is beat Arkansas and you're in Atlanta. Uh, I'm not sure how confident Alabama is. They have They've been a little shaky over the last month or so, but, you know, you beat Arkansas – you win the West, you go into the Iron Bowl without a lot of pressure. Uh, It it was a weird Saturday where it felt like for the first time in a long time that, that something happened that really shook out well for Alabama.
1: I'll say this, and I'm going to link this towards the Iron Bowl, but after Auburn beat Ole Miss, Auburn folks super excited, of course. These last two weeks have been befuddling but you also see the first half of the Mississippi State game and you see when this team is playing well what they can be now circumstances have changed a little bit starting quarterbacks gone down your starting starting kickers gone down all these different things have occurred now which make it a little bit more of a moot point when you get to the iron bowl but we know what Auburn is capable of when they're playing at their best so is it fair to say which I don't think it is that Auburn has fallen off the face of the planet after this loss, because we know and we saw it in this game, what Auburn looks like when they're playing great. The question is, can they do it for four quarters? And if they can do it for four quarters, it's still going to be a battle in the Iron Bowl.
4: No, well, it's always it's always a battle in Jordan Hare. I mean, the last time Alabama just played out of their mind in Jordan Hare Stadium was 2011, when Alabama just probably had for an era of football maybe the best defense when it kind of came to that. Just pre-spread, but still kind of grounded Pound Air. I mean, the best defense probably in that decade. And A.J. McCarron, very good. You know, that team went on to win a national title. But, I mean, I'm not saying that Auburn has fallen off a cliff, but, you know, you just kind of look back at this year and, you know, the numbers have kind of told you all year what Auburn – kind of what they are man they, they give up more points per game than they score versus power five teams they score just under 23 versus power five and they give up almost 27 and they're dead last in the sec against power five teams in pass defense you saw that a lot on saturday i wouldn't be surprised if alabama and i've been saying this for a long time i don't know why lane kiffin wanted to run the football so much against auburn if he kicked some field goals auburn could be rolling uh, into the South Carolina game, five and five. He didn't give his team a chance to win in Jordan Hare, and he probably looks back and thinks that he should have took those points. But if you're playing Auburn right now, man, you you just say we're going to throw the ball 50 times. They can't stop you. They haven't stopped the Power Five team really throwing the ball all year. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm just I, Auburn is still dangerous. The most Alabama way to lose in Jordan Hare would be T.J. Finley, a second string quarterback coming in, and finding a way to beat Alabama. But if you're Alabama right now, you just want to take care of business against Arkansas, something that you should be able to do. And um, you should roll into the Iron Bowl with the SEC West locked down, and just be really, quite frankly, as much as you want to win the Iron Bowl, you want to use that Iron Bowl week to get better, to prepare, beat a rival, and head into Atlanta playing your best football.
2: You look ahead potentially to that SEC championship game. You're looking at a team like Georgia giving up 17 points to Tennessee. I mean, they are progressively just dominating opponents week in and week out, but they finally showed some cracks giving up 17 points to the Volunteers. Do you expect if Alabama gets to the SEC championship game for, uh, for, for the Tide to have any sort of offensive success against Georgia?
4: I think they'll have more than other teams have had, but I'm not going to pick Alabama to win the game. Um, why would you? You know, um, they've shown that they'll bust uh, on the defensive end. Their secondaries will be out of place. They were out of place for a few series uh, against New Mexico State. And when you're playing Georgia, you can't give up a free 14 points, which is what Alabama's done in a lot of football games this year. They've given up – I mean, against Tennessee, they gave up almost 21 free points. And, you know, it's kind of strange – that a lot of people, including me, they're thinking about the Alabama defense because they know that they're they are a liability in big situations. But overall in the year, they're still giving up under 20 against Power Five teams. They're giving up under 22. They're scoring 40 points per game. That I mean, they're not they're not bad, and they might be getting better. But I would pick Alabama to beat Georgia on a neutral field. Georgia. What do you guys think? I don't know. I think they might open that one up at minus five and a half.
1: I saw a line and, earlier today that a potential SEC championship game between Alabama and Georgia, the line, opens up with Alabama's three-point dogs.
4: Yeah, I mean, I would see that. You know, it would be a, around a field goal. I don't think they'd give you a six and a half, seven, seven and a half, but I was thinking five, five and a half, Georgia being the favorite. So you're not going to pick them to win the game. Um, but I think they'll have the best chance. And I had a buddy send me, you know, the list of quarterbacks that – Georgia has faced this year and it's not a lot of world beaters i mean bo Nix, who has had a good he had a good year up until his injury i'll give him that i think he has the most passing yards against georgia this year albeit that be at home um if their weak, their weakest spot is going to be their defensive backs but do you even have enough time to throw the football most teams don't when you play georgia
1: talking about alabama's opponent this weekend though we can't fast forward three weeks to the end of the year cbs 230 game Number 25, Arkansas. Number 2, Alabama. Of course, those rankings are going to change tomorrow night when we have the playoff rankings released. But Alabama at home, what, if any, is there, maybe is the better way for me to phrase this, is there anything that Arkansas does well that could trouble Alabama this weekend?
4: Well, I mean, they play, they play good defense. And they have a quarterback that seems like he could be hot or very cold, and we've seen hot quarterbacks beat Alabama. But, they mean, if you're playing Alabama, you bring six every play. You can't let Bryce Young sit back there. If, you're gonna, if Alabama's going to beat you, Bryce Young will be bruised and battered at the end of that game because there is no way that I watch any game tape against Alabama and say, well, let's just bring four and let them have five on four in the trenches. There's no way because if you look at the tape, if you bring six – and they, and, they, and they leave a running back in the backfield of the block, one of those guys up front is going to bust an assignment. And Bryce Young has been he's been battered and bruised a lot this year, and he's still been able to do what he's been able to do at the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. But I also think, man, they, it, it, LSU, how, how much of a, a fluke was that LSU defense at Alabama? Because they come back the very next week, and they hold a team that scores 31 points per game in Arkansas. No, that's not world beaters. But it's still not bad. They're scoring over 30. And in regulation, they hold um, what was that? Thir- hold Arkansas at 13 points. So maybe that LSU defense is just playing inspired. We do know that they have a high ceiling as a team at LSU. But for Alabama, I think finally this year you can come out. You know you have a chance to clinch something that could lead, lead to something bigger. I think you see an inspired Alabama football team, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I think that they will get the job done this weekend. I don't think it's going to be as close as a lot of people think. Now, Georgia beat this team 37-0. Alabama came out as a 20-and-a-half point favorite. I could see Alabama winning by – I think I could see Alabama winning by 21.
1: Alabama men's basketball, they stayed parked at 14th. In this week's edition of the AP top twenty-five Paul, they are two and zero. They have handled every opponent that they've played relatively easily. Dominated Louisiana Tech. That's a great win, ninety-three to sixty-four, and then beat South Dakota State 104 to 88. This offense is hot flying. What's your take on Alabama basketball after two games?
4: Well, after the second game, Nate Oates, he's gonna say Nate Oates things like we gotta play better on defense, we gotta rotate more, we can't, we can't double-team in the post when we didn't call a double-team. But, listen, when you give up 88 and you cover an 11-and-a-half point spread against a team that might win their conference, and Alabama has played two teams to open the year that might win their conference. So, I mean, listen, they're good. They can shoot. What are they going to do when they play a long, physical team that can get out and guard the perimeter? We'll see. But it's a good little schedule before you get into your big three non-conference matchups before conference play starts with gonzaga memphis and houston if alabama can win just one of those they'll be sitting very very pretty when they open up conference play on december 29th at home versus tennessee which is not an easy start to the sec play
1: jeremy appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today i hope you have a great rest of your afternoon bud thanks
4: Miller. appreciate the
1: time that was jeremy law of radio alabama sports with us man i'll tell you alabama looks good they look very good right now. Defense could be a concern. Didn't play great against South Dakota State on that front. Jackrabbits, forty-eight percent from the field, but mm-hmm.
2: Alabama, man, they are scoring some buckets. They're the, the SEC uh this season incredibly loaded especially in the top half and Alabama is just another one of those four five six teams that we could be looking at at the end of the year and saying oh I'm not surprised that they won the conference like there are literally four or five different teams right now that we could I would just not be shocked if they won the league it's an incredibly deep year for the SEC
1: compared to other teams right here before we go to break compared to other teams first two games on their schedule honestly it'll rank up there in the top quadrant of SEC teams in terms of strength of schedule at this point with Louisiana Tech and South Dakota State. As Jeremy said, those two teams have a pretty good shot at winning their individual conferences. Mm -hmm. There's respect there for South Dakota State if it was only an 11-point line against Alabama. These are Alabama's stats against these teams so far. Averages, 98.5 points per game, 49 rebounds per game. That's outrageous. They had 18 offensive boards against South Dakota State. It's outrageous that they have 49 re- rebounds per game considering how high of a percentage South Dakota State shot. They weren't missing shots. That means there's less rebounds to gobble. Alabama was out there getting them on their offensive side of the ball. 19 assists per game. That's an excellent number. That's a number that Auburn doesn't hit most of the time. Six and a half steals per game It's pretty good. Two and a half blocks per game, that's not great. And 11 turnovers per game. They've been playing very clean basketball at this point. 49.3% from the field as a team. percent from the free throw stripe that's not great and 35.6 percent from three not as good as they were last year but still pretty good.
2: Absolutely yeah I'm looking at some of the numbers on Kim Palm and and you're looking up and down a lot of different efficiencies and and like you were just saying their field goal percentages and Alabama's well above the average in a lot of different categories. I mean right now they are playing good basketball and last season incredibly efficient on both ends.
1: People may be saying well they played Louisiana Tech and South Dakota State which Sure, like if that was what your entire non conference schedule was made up of. But the problem is, this is compared to everybody else who is playing weaker schedules than that. Morehead State and ULM is weaker than playing Louisiana Tech and South Dakota State through the first two games. South Dakota State and Louisiana Tech, those are potential NCAA tournament teams this year. I don't know if you can say the same about Morehead State and Louisiana Monroe. Not saying that Auburn's played poorly, Auburn's played great. I'm just saying, to put this in perspective, Alabama is playing a higher caliber of team than most teams at this point and they are not missing a beat. They look great to open up the year, and that's a young Alabama team flexing their muscles. But, of course, as Thanksgiving rolls around, schedules will toughen up because of the tournaments that you're playing in. and Alabama still has to play Baylor and Gonzaga and Houston, three of the final four teams from last year. It ain't going to get easier, and they're going to get t- tested too, and they're going to take some lumps and bruises in non-conference play, as well as Auburn with the Battle for Atlanta coming up in just a little over a week and a half. We'll be back to wrap up hour number one of On the Line when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. About five minutes left here in hour number one. Still breaking down Auburn's 43-34 loss to Mississippi State. Mind-boggling loss. But before we get to that, Let's back it up back to the high school football action postseason play, and we've got your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week, and this week's is Auburn High School's Brad Harper. The linebacker totaled up 11 tackles and recovered a block punt for a touchdown in Auburn's 56-21 win over Enterprise in the quarterfinals of the 7A playoffs. Auburn advances to the semifinals with a road game against Central on Friday. Brad Harper, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband, smarter, faster, fiber internet. Point-broadband.com. Auburn High onto the semis, taking on Central. That'll be a big game coming up this Friday night on the road at the Central Red Devils, who won the region there. So those are two region rivals meeting yet again for what seems like the umpteenth billionth year in a row in the semifinals. <laughs> Auburn and Central for a spot at the state championship. Of course, basketball season and high school sports getting going. I'll be doing an Auburn, or excuse me, I'll be doing a Lee Scott basketball game tomorrow. Lee Scott kicks off their season, or tips off their season, rather. Should use a different euphemism there, I guess, for, uh, or a different phrase there for basketball season. They tip off their season tomorrow against Wiregrass out of the Dothan area. That's going to be an exciting game. Wiregrass can score some points. Find that on A 100 100.3 FM, as well as Lee Scott Sports Network Facebook page. I would imagine broadcast start time, and you never know with high school sports. Considering the JV games before, but I would imagine about 5 30 or 6 p.m. will be a good time to tune in on AU 100 for that ball game. We'll still be doing the show here tomorrow, of course, but just something that you could tune into afterwards uh, if you're looking for some high school basketball action. Auburn High School's already got started as well, so a lot of good stuff going on. Backing it up again to our impressions of Auburn's 43 to 34 loss to Mississippi State. We've talked about the officiating. We've talked about the defense. And we'll talk about this in hour number two as well, but a little bit on the offense here before we wrap up hour number one.
2: Yeah, so heading into this week, I said that the offense needs to run the ball more on first and second down. And uh, they tried to do that, I feel like, uh, in this game against Mississippi State, and they just did not have a lot of success. If you take out the 57-yard run by Javaris Johnson, which they they counted that early touchdown a as a run, but that's, that was a pass uh auburn ran for like 50 something yards and it was and bo would have had like 400 something passing yards right it, it, it would have been a just an egregious day on the ground for auburn and uh it was just not it was just not good man the way that they did that they uh tried to run the ball but i will say bo Nix, one of the best games of his entire career and it's just a shame that uh that it went the way that it did at the end
1: but i'll say this about it maybe people will come to
2: in appreciation
1: of what was happening there at quarterback, you know.
2: Yeah, because uh, I'm I'm not gonna lie, Noah. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be breaking down the matchup throughout the course of the week, but on the road in at South Carolina at night with our backup quarterback and without our kicker. I don't know how how uh, good I feel about this game, man.
1: To be fair, TJ Findley made his first start. Against South Carolina and uh, uh, destroyed them. Exactly. Right? So he's got experience and some confidence doing this. And and by no means, uh, I, I want to say this, nobody should ever wish for one of their players to get hurt. Mm-hmm. That should never happen. And unfortunately, there's been some really nasty stuff on social media and that just stop that. I mean, that that's horrible. Horrible. I hope people come to a greater appreciation of Um, you know how much effort these guys put in and how they're playing because Bonick's played on a bum ankle for a couple of drives.
2: Yeah, that's tough. Could not agree with that more. That's tougher
1: than what a lot of these people are tweeting out on social media. That's tougher than a lot of what those guys are, and he's playing on a hurt
2: ankle. This is something that I've talked about before on on After the Game and here on this show. Look, Bo Nix is not the five-star quarterback that he was pegged as coming out of high school, but he has progressively gotten better over the course of this season, and what he has done for Auburn is played about as hard as any player in the country could. It's not like he's ever given up at any point in his career. He has not been injury-prone. uh uh, up until this point even whenever he has been hurt he's gone out there and played to the best of his ability we saw that in the uh the penn state game and you look at this uh, situation with him right now it's just like do not discount what this kid has done for your program and how hard he has played for you because you may need to come back and really appreciate it what he's done after these final three games of the season that's it for hour number one of
1: on the line Hour number two coming up, we'll still continue to break down uh, Auburn's offensive performance against Mississippi State. Continue to give our impressions of Auburn's 43-34 loss at the hands of the Bulldogs, as well as we'll talk some Auburn basketball coming up in hour number two.
0: You are on the line.
1: Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESBN 1067 in sports Central, Alabama. Number to call 334 321 1390. Our text line at 334 564 1840. That's how you can reach us on the Monday edition of On the Line, the grieving episode. Auburn's 43-34 to 34 loss to Mississippi State. We are giving impressions of that, but first we're going to start off hour number two with our daily segment of making headlines, bouncing around all the different headlines going on in the sports world that may be of interest to you. We will start off at the top of those headlines, and I'm actually going to insert one here, something that we were talking about just during the break a second ago, and I'm going to let Lance carry this one away, but a six-way tie for first. And the SEC West is still very much still on the table. And honestly, the closer you look at it, there's only like one of the things that's super outlandish that would happen.
2: Yeah, so last week I was talking about this on the show, about how the SEC West could potentially finish in a six-way tie with six teams outside of LSU all finishing with a 5-3 and three record. Two of the things that needed to happen happened this weekend. Auburn lost to Mississippi State and A&M lost to Ole Miss. And so look at the other things that need to happen for in this scenario for all these, these six SEC West teams to finish 5-3. and three. Arkansas will have to beat Alabama this weekend. That's the most difficult thing. Look at these other uh, games, though, that, that, have to, uh, that have to happen. Arkansas, or excuse me, Ole Miss has to beat Vanderbilt. Auburn has Done. to beat South Carolina. It's already been completed. <laughs> Mississippi State, who is at home in the Egg Bowl, has to beat Ole Miss in Week 13. Arkansas has to beat Missouri. Auburn has to beat Alabama and A&M has to beat LSU. The, two, the three games there that are 50-50 to not likely is Arkansas beating Alabama, uh, Mississippi State beating Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, and then Auburn beating Alabama. But if Arkansas beats Alabama, you would like to believe that Auburn has a legitimate shot to do the exact same, and then you look at the Egg Bowl, it's at home for Mississippi State, and they've been chaotic this season. Oh, the way this, that Mississippi State's week, playing yeah. right now, man, I wouldn't be shocked if they pulled it absolutely so you look there 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 you have it most of those all of them outside of one which is the Arkansas-Bama game those outcomes are like are very realistic like there is a world where that happens and even if it which is
1: more of a long shot Arkansas beating Alabama or Auburn beating Alabama
2: oh uh, I would say I would say Arkansas because again if Arkansas does beat uh, if Arkansas does beat Alabama, I like Auburn's chances at home, even with a backup quarterback. Just because of? Just because, yeah, exactly. Because of the fact that there could be a six-way tie in the SEC West? Well, no, 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 just because of the way that Iron Bowls have played out in the past. It's like Because
1: now all of a sudden things are on the line. Yeah,
2: with Noah Gardner and Lance <laughs> <laughs> um, But, uh, yeah, it's, it's an exciting scenario. And by the way, by the way, just throwing this out there, I'm just I'm not saying this for for any legitimate reason or anything, but if that five six way tie does happen, Auburn goes to Atlanta. Just saying.
1: That that is the that's how the tiebreaker would split. Yes. Yeah, that wasn't you hypothesizing or hoping that that would happen. Auburn that, would go.
2: Yes. So it's wild. There you have it. I'm just throwing what that up.
1: What happens out there. if LSU beats A and M? Like how is that relevant to this whole thing? Because then, then there wouldn't be a six way tie in the West anymore, but
2: then A and M would be four and four.
1: Right. But would Auburn still go? Like, would that mess it up for Auburn if Auburn didn't? Like, would Auburn go to the SEC championship even if a And M wasn't a part of
2: that tie anymore? I'm not gonna lie; I have no idea. I have to, I'd have to really. look Nobody's into done
1: it. like a And M is not relevant it, 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 for Auburn. I don't know if a And M is even relevant to Auburn going. Maybe all Auburn needs is for Alabama to lose out and for Auburn obviously to win out and for State to beat Ole Miss.
2: Right. Okay, maybe there's a separate scenario there's the two things can be separate like there can be a six-way tie in the sec west and auburn goes to the sec championship game and then there can be another set of things that has to happen for auburn go, to go to the sec championship game and that does not result in a six-way tie i think is what you're saying right is like A&M, a five-way tie what happens right. under a five-way tie is a&- auburn the one that wins that tiebreaker yeah a&m may not be relevant is in this situation is what you're saying so, yeah I mean, so if a&m loses to lsu then they go four and four so uh if if Mississippi State loses to uh to Ole Miss they go four and four but then that makes Ole Miss five and two or six and two rather potentially and uh that that could uh, spell trouble for, for Auburn who... no
1: the most important things that have to happen is Mississippi State went out and Alabama lose out Yep. and then what happens in that situation is what we're all wondering yeah that's because Arkansas seems irrelevant in this whole situation as well
2: so if Arkansas beats Alabama, they'll be four and three, and if they if they beat uh, if they beat Missouri, they're five and three or four and four. It doesn't matter. So they're irrelevant in this scenario because because Auburn holds a direct tiebreaker over them. Okay, so they hold a direct tiebreaker over Arkansas, LSU, um, Texas A&M. If uh, they were to beat LSU, would be five and three and
1: we're gonna get lost we shouldn't do this
2: Alabama Auburn would hold a tiebreaker because of the win over Alabama who would also be I don't know there there there's so many different ways you could look at this
1: yeah we're gonna get lost yeah no the the, maybe this was what Dr. Strange was talking about in Infinity War this was the only Auburn losing to Mississippi State like that was the only way
2: it was the only outcome
1: like what happened on Saturday was the only way for Auburn to get to the SEC championship this year
2: (laughs) man but yeah, just some absolutely ridiculous stuff, and I I could uh, I could look into it. By the way, there's a 0.02% chance that all, that the six-way tie happens.
1: That seems a little low. Yeah, it seems a little low, considering you know, basically you're telling me that there's a 0.2% chance that. Arkansas beats Alabama. <laughs> this would be the ultimate parlay, Lance. The ultimate <laughs> yes, parlay. Okay. That.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm about to go. I'm about to go get on the side I can find as quickly as possible and just put this parlay down. <laughs> just ten bucks down comes out with like five hundred grand. That would be fantastic. Oh man, that's actually, hilarious. If you if that is something that I can do before this afternoon ends, I'm going to put like five dollars <laughs> down on that parlay legally, Lance. See what ha- legally, of course, of course.
1: Uh, Bo Nix of course we know this headline will have surgery to repair his injured ankle sidelining him for the remainder of the season it's TJ Finley time
2: yeah, and... Uh, but I think we can talk about the third-string quarterback, now backup quarterback a little bit. That's what I was about to say is I wonder how much T.J. Finley is going to get to see the field with Auburn just kind of evaluating their new situation at quarterback. Do they look at Demetrius Davis in certain situations? Do Does he get the job outright? I know?
1: think Finley's the starter, but the question is, how long is that leash Yeah, if it's not going well? And T.J. Finley of course, looked decent in the Georgia State game. Of course, he had an exceptional ending to it, but you have to look at the entire product, and he was decent at the Georgia State game. He had one drive in the LSU game where he busted off a big play on on a pass to a tight end. I can't remember which tight end it was, but outside of that one play in the LSU game, didn't really do anything. And then, of course, he came in this game against Mississippi State, and He fumbled. So the sample size is not great for T.J. Finley. And I think he's definitely good enough for Auburn to win against South Carolina, without a doubt. You have to remember, South Carolina is on their third-string quarterback. Auburn is just on their second-string quarterback. <laughs> I mean, for folks out there, and I know you are kind of in that boat, like, well, Auburn may lose on Saturday. Sure, that, it may happen. But I think that may be more of a factor of morale rather than talent. Even with Bo down, I think Auburn is still a more talented team than South Carolina. But from a morale standpoint, you look, you know the saying, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yep. And if Auburn doesn't come ready to play, they very much so can lose. So I'm not sitting here saying that Auburn's, you know, without a doubt, foregone conclusion is going to win in Columbia, but they're better than South Carolina. And if their morale's in a good place and they bounce back this week at practice and they work hard, they ought to win. It doesn't matter who's that quarterback. I think they could find a way to win with Demetrius Davis. The Alabama game's a different story. And you want to make sure that you have optimal quarterback play in that game, but it's not like Auburn hasn't competed with Alabama in the past with suboptimal quarterback play. I think back to 2016, Jeremy Johnson had to make that start. That was somewhat a game going into the third quarter. 2015, it was a game for much of the fourth quarter, and Auburn was starting Jeremy Johnson or Sean White at quarterback that year, and it was it was baby Sean White. It wasn't even like at least a year of play of Sean White. You know, like <laughs> I even think I remember uh, – trying to think did, did anybody else no never mind i'll scratch that I, who was the wide receiver that caught the tipped pass in the 2015 jason smith yeah i was like did jason smith even play some quarterback in that game no he, he just made the catch he was a former quarterback though coming out of high school so i don't know how
2: i, I didn't even like react i was just like, <laughs> just like jason smith yeah like i was questions. like who was i knew it was jason i was like who is that
1: yeah the uh the annals of auburn history you know
2: things that we remember things that we should forget yeah <laughs> yeah
1: Oh, man, that would be an interesting book. Um, (laughs) But, yeah. Because
2: this past weekend would be in it.
1: And Kobe Hudson's, you know, I saw somebody tweet that somehow Auburn made that one-handed catch from Kobe Hudson. He had two one-handed catches on that drive. Yep. And somehow Auburn found a way to make those unforgettable, which is sad.
2: I don't, it it wasn't you that said it. Somebody said recently that I was listening to that Kobe Hudson is a is a talented wide receiver, right? And he's he's obviously proven that over the course of this season, but he's probably like the second or third best receiver on a good football team. And I don't know if that's necessarily like... An, I'd say like second. A, I don't um, know if I'd go third. Right. Um, I'm just saying like Kobe Hudson, he has been asked to do a lot this season and he has stepped up. He's playing great. In, in a role where he shouldn't have to be getting so many different targets and things like that. So I, point being... He's been playing incredible recently, and in, in Saturday was a, was a bright spot. In it was his breakout very, game. Very, in a very difficult loss, seeing Kobe Hudson play that way was really impressive.
1: But still talking about this quarterback situation before we move on to our next headline. You can play Demetrius Davis every snap for the rest of this season, and to my knowledge, he can still redshirt. I don't think we've seen him play in any other game this year. And if, if I'm wrong, let us know. But I don't think he's played in another game this year. Even if he has, the limit is four. So I don't think he's played in two games this year at least. And if he has played in one game, then he can still play the rest of the snaps for the rest of this year in red redshirt. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, once again, to what that leash is for TJ Finley because you can play the third guy.
2: Yeah, and I I wondered though how Davis fits into this offensive scheme though cuz we were talking about that during the break a little bit about whether or not Mike Bubba would prefer to have somebody like TJ Finley in or whether or not he he would go with a guy like Demetrius Davis even though that he's a little bit more of a mo- mobile quarterback. I'll say this, with the way that Auburn's ground game's playing right now, I don't know if I like TJ Finley in for an entire game just simply because of the the escapability that Dem- Demetrius Davis provides, right? Cuz t- if the, if the blitz is coming, I don't think T.J. Finley is getting away from it eight out of ten times. Or eight out of ten times, he's probably going down. I just don't expect him uh, in in this running game to really be efficient, this offense as a whole, simply because Tank Bigsby, beat Jarquiz Hunter a lot of guys are keying in on them right now, and, and teams are getting stopped whenever they need to.
1: Well, earlier today, and Brian Harson's media availability, and this is via Christian Clemente at cclemente underscore of auburnsports.com, friend of the program. Have him on the show on Friday, so we'll ask him about this coming up this week. But he was live-tweeting for the press conference earlier today. Brian Harson says Bo Nix is out for the season, including the bowl game. We'll move forward with TJ. So that'll tell you that's who your starting quarterback is moving forward. But additionally... Brian Horson also said, and this is from Christian Clemente once again, Brian Horson says they haven't had discussions yet about getting Demetrius Davis involved in the game plan
2: really, no discussion
1: all right, so does that mean that that won't happen at all? Obviously that can't be a huge positive, or maybe that's just Brian Horson blatantly just saying, i am not telling you, you know I mean that I would wouldn't put it past it in the, in, the, in, in how press conference and media availability has been handled this year, I would not put that past Brian Harsin just be like I'm not telling you about that you know what I mean Uh, but it is interesting to say that they haven't had discussions yet about getting Demetrius Davis involved in the game plan I wonder why may not be ready may not be they may have a lot of confidence in T.J. Finley I I, I don't know we'll see but it is T.J. Finley moving forward once again I go back to how how long is that leash um, for T.J. Finley with Demetrius Davis on the bench and because I know there's some people out there that really like that guy and really thought that he was playing well in the preseason.
2: Yeah, and uh, some people thought that he was playing decent, I believe, in, uh, in, in fall camp as well. And so, who knows? We may see him get a shot at some point uh, during the South Carolina or Bama game or even in the bowl game, potentially. So, there's a lot of opportunity for Davis still.
1: I would hate to see him get his first shot in the Bama game because that means things were not going well.
2: Yeah. It's like if, if, if you're gonna ooh. see,
1: a, you better make. If you're gonna be tinkering with things, this week to tinker with
2: it. It's like, all right, we're starting our third string quarterback in the Iron Bowl. That would be a game that Auburn would win. Like somehow Auburn would find a way to win that game, like 21-18 or something stupid like that.
3: Well, Auburn has started a, a third string uh, skill player before and and uh, beaten Alabama. Trey Smith, and I think it was it was o two or o three.
2: That might have been. Do you 02. guys do you not know what I'm talking about? No, yeah, I, I do, know what you're talking I think, about. I think it, I think it was 0-2. I might be wrong.
3: <laughs> he had like two hundred yards. I
1: was young i was very young So was i i was younger (laughs) well moving along auburn basketball moves up one spot in the ap top 25 poll six sec teams are ranked in the top 25 as we continue along in making headlines And look at that ap top 25 polls this is the first regular season poll released this week gonzaga comes in at number one receiving 55 first place votes ucla at two receiving six first place votes three kansas Michigan moves up two spots to number four Villanova is at five after losing to UCLA they drop down a spot Purdue up to six Duke up to seven Texas as eight they drop three spots after getting trounced by Gonzaga nine Baylor they're still undefeated but dropped a spot to make room for Duke pole vaulting inside the top 10 number 10 Illinois 11 Memphis 12 Oregon 13 Kentucky they fall three spots after losing to Duke last week 14 Alabama. By the way, everybody else from here outs undefeated. 14 Alabama, 15 Houston, 16 Arkansas, 17 Tennessee, 18 North Carolina. People were not pleased with Ohio State's buzzer beater over Akron. They moved down to 19. Maryland at 20. Auburn up to 21. St. Bonaventure up to 22. Yukon at 23. Florida pulls off their first victory over Florida State since what, like 2013? It's been a hot minute. They're up to 24, and USC's into the polls at 25. Dropped from the rankings, it was Florida State, who was ranked 20th, and Virginia, who was ranked 25th. Florida State losing to Florida, and Virginia losing to Navy. Did them in.
2: And I'm just looking at this UConn matchup for Auburn about a week or about 10 days, excuse me, away from that matchup starts uh, against the Huskies. I'm interested to see what Auburn looks like in that game. They've got a game against South Florida on Friday this week. Going to try and tune some more things up. And then that UConn matchup, man, number 23 in the nation, the Huskies. What will Auburn look like in that game? I know you are doing, I, I don't know, are you ready, to, you ready to let people know about what you're doing? Yeah, so uh, Locked On is a podcast brand, and they have a bunch of different little podcasts under their network, like there's Locked On Auburn, Locked On Tennessee, so and so and so. I uh, I have started doing the Locked On Kentucky podcast. I'm going to be talking a lot of Kentucky basketball, a lot of basketball recruiting, a little bit of Kentucky football as well. Uh, but yeah, really excited to get it going as uh, as basketball season has started, and, and Kentucky looks competent this season. Who would have thought?
1: <laughs> Kentucky lost to Duke, of course, to open up their season, but they responded with a forty-point win over Robert Morris. As well as upcoming, they've got Mount St. Mary who got annihilated by Villanova in the first game of the college basketball season. That one's tomorrow on SEC Network. And then they've got Ohio on the horizon on Friday. That one also on SEC Network. Albany around the corner, North Florida, Central Michigan. doesn't really look like they play a competent team until they play Notre Dame on December 11th and that one will uh, have a little bit of extra meaning there for you Lance because you hate those guys (laughs) yep it's
2: going to be a game where I'm actually like emotionally invested like please let's let's get a win over Notre Dame I was talking about it on my my episode today actually is like you look at their upcoming slate they Jacob Toppin's out with a shoulder injury right now CJ Frederick the transfer from Iowa is out for the season I believe uh with with another injury after he had a leg injury uh earlier on this season But they've got so much time to just kind of tinker with the offense and just kind of figure out what they want to do, who they want shooting the ball. Uh, And they've just got so many opportunities over the course of this non-conference slate to just kind of ease into things and really figure out what type of team they want to be.
1: Next headline here on Making Headlines, Cam Newton scored two touchdowns in his return to the Carolina Panthers, which was a big win for the Panthers in Arizona against the Cardinals yesterday.
2: He's back. <laughs> and he let everybody know about it. He let everybody know about it. So he uh he was uh screaming, hooting and hollering after uh, he scored that first touchdown and man, I don't know. I wouldn't say he's necessarily a shell of himself, but I don't know if he's going to be able to return to the form that he he had in like 2016, 2015, 2017 around there, but I do I do wish the best for him.
1: Well, the Panthers did let everybody know today. I believe Matt Rule said that he will be taking the majority of first team reps this week putting him in line to be the starter for Carolina's next game against Washington football team, which is this Sunday on Fox at noon. There you go, and that's a winnable game. That is a winnable. And all of a game. sudden, the Panthers are back above five hundred at six and five. After that, they get to go play the putrid Dolphins on the road in two weeks from now. They'll get to play them. I mean, that could get you up to seven and five. Then you get the Falcons. That's a winnable game that can put you up to eight and five. And then it's the Bills. But if the Falcons can win each of their next three games, which are all against bad football teams, they win each of their next three games. They're sitting at eight and five, and they better do it because their next four games: Bills, Buccaneers, Saints, Buccaneers. It's so if you want to have a shot at it. the playoffs, you you better you better win all of these three, and you're going to have to steal one across those last four right there to round out the month uh,
2: to round out your football schedule. And you look at the four, three of those last four games are on the road. They get they get one game at home against the Bucks and then everything else is on the road. That's going to be tough.
1: And the Saints game is winnable and of course the Buccaneers may lay an egg, but man, the Bills are good. The, I mean the Buccaneers are great. I mean all, all three of those teams right there, or two of those teams right there are great. Three of those games are against great teams. Considering you're playing the Bucks twice, the Saints is a winnable game. I mean I think that's one that you got to win. Um, you got to win your next three right here. To that would put you at nine wins on the season, which puts you at nine and eight. And in the NFC, that might you get in. That might get you in the playoffs. Because it is a bad, bad league, bad, bad conference on that side of the NFL. Whereas the NFC has like 10 teams above 500. Just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> if I, if the Cleveland Browns were in the NFC, we would be in the playoffs. But yep. that is not the case. That mm. is not the case. I get disassembled like a Lego set by Mac Jones. Mm. Uh, Man, well, yep. you got the Lions this weekend. They tied the Steelers, so nothing is a given. <laughs> oh
2: well Najee harris didn't know that they could tie i don't know if you saw that headline i did see that yeah. and i'm like I don't, I don't i don't know if i believe that like you can't go your whole life playing the game of football and then going to play it professionally and not understand the professional sport that you play in can tie i'm just like i appreciate the joke but that can't be real i hope it's not let's head to a
1: quick break here when we come back we talk about saturday takeaways other things that happened at the sec this past weekend Got about 30 minutes left in the Monday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports joined us earlier in the show. We have a big thank you there for Jeremy Law for joining us. If you missed any of today's show, go and check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Still giving our impressions of Auburn's 43-34 to loss to Mississippi State. and Lance reminded me of this during the break. The decision to go for it.
2: Like, dislike. No, I do not like it. Sting, you have thoughts. I hate it with the fire of a thousand suns. Lance, so, articulate that a little bit friendlier. So, you are down, <laughs> right? But was it was it fifteen or sixteen? No, you're down by fifteen. It was nine. No, I don't know if I trust Sting with a microphone right now. Okay, so you're I'm sorry. I have a lot of strong feelings about what happened Saturday. So it was you were down by you were down by nine. And the thought process should be that I'm going to kick an extra point to make it an eight-point game, and then if I get to score again, then I will attempt a two-point yeah, conversion. You should, if
3: you are ever considering going for two, your thought process needs to be, well, here is the situation if we don't get it.
2: It is not... I'm going to attempt the two-point conversion now. Get it, and then make life for myself easier later. Because either way, you're still going to have to attempt that two-point conversion. Do it whenever you are certain you have a chance to win the game. Don't do it whenever you you're sitting there going, "Okay, if we miss this, like it, it we, it's it's over, right? Like we have right, to then you have to score twice." twice
3: so.
1: I didn't like the call, and I'll get to that in a second. But I do think there is some merit. Just playing devil's advocate. I think there is some merit to saying at some point I have to get it if I don't get it I'm going to lose there wasn't a ton of time left in the game and if he didn't get it then versus not getting it later at on the same token he's going to lose right like he'll lose regardless so the idea is let's go ahead and get it right now try and get some momentum and then if we if we get it then maybe that'll help urge this team on to make the comeback complete but if they don't then, you know, obviously you guys are correct. And that's, where I, that's why I didn't like it too much. Because if you didn't get it, then you've now put yourself in a position where you have to score twice. Yep. Whereas no matter what, if you were going to have to go for it no matter what anyway, which we all knew they were, at some point you were going to have to go for two. If that was the case, then just kick the can down the road so that you can ensure no matter what that after this touchdown, all you have to do is score one more time, right? And... I
3: don't understand how it opened how. the door.
1: It opened the door for if they didn't get it, for the game to be over and to kill your team.
3: Right. I don't understand how, when you consider that that you still decide to go for two. It's just the, it is the wrong decision.
1: I, I agree with you. I think it is. I'm just saying that at the end of the day, there was there was so little time left that they were like, look, we're gonna have to go for it anyway. So we might as well put the game on the line right here. If we on the line with no gardner there, <laughs> <but, laughs> there, 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 there was
2: five minutes left. In the words of Mike Bobo, YOLO, let's do it. <laughs> like, what do I got to lose? I mean, I'm I'm probably... Uh, at least it wasn't a fade. At least it wasn't a fade. It's though. true. What was it?
3: I don't really know.
2: I it mean, was what we've been... Oh, roll- it was the rollout. And Brady Summersell, one of our interns here, tweeted out, it was like, we've been running this exact same two-point conversion play call for like three years now. It's like, anytime Auburn goes for a two-point conversion, rollout to the right, we're going to have three sit- routes that just sit down and we're just going to see which one gets open. None of them did. <laughs>
3: The line broke down, too, right?
2: Yeah, I think they did a little bit. And then you have a quarterback with a broken ankle trying to roll out to his right. Good job, Mike Bobo. Not great. I don't know if they knew that he had a broken ankle at that moment, well, though. At that point, they should have
3: known he was limited because yeah, he didn't come back out. Because
2: he went back on the sideline, and then he had to come back out for that series. So you have to at least be able to communicate with your quarterback and say, hey, are you hurt? And if he says, nah, I'm fine, which I don't think that Bo Nix did— then still you have to look at it like okay he's limping maybe we shouldn't be calling bootlegs for to get a two-point conversion that will cost us the game if we don't get it let's run something that sets him up to where he can make a mental decision with his arm as well instead of having to roll out and be in physical pain while he's trying to make that decision
1: we still need to break down this offense we really do we have all we talked about was that they didn't run the ball well which is true they did it Javarius Johnson's I know by the book that is a run, but, man, that was a pass. That was a pass. Um, and and that makes Albert's rushing statistics look a little bit better than they actually are, which still says 3.9 yards per carry, which is pretty bad. It's better than what Mississippi State was giving up, though, 3.6 still. Let's head to a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. 30 minutes left in the show. Two more segments. Then it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack. Frustrating day on Saturday. We've talked about a lot of it. Let's wrap up our thoughts and then let's... I'm going to make a friend's reference here. Let's put the book in the freezer.
2: I wish I knew what you were talking about because that sounds hilarious.
1: Let's put the book in the freezer. It's when he's re- – he, his favorite – Joey's favorite book is The Shining. And <laughs> whenever a book scares him, <laughs> he, puts, he puts it in the freezer. Well, then he starts uh, – is, is the book Little Women or something like that? Is, is that what it's called? I, I, I can't remember. So. It, it's Rachel's favorite book, okay? And, and he then – it's clearly on the complete other side of the spectrum of The Shining. Yeah he gets sad in the book and so he has to put it in the freezer Ah, and so um let's just let's let it all out and then we're gonna put it in the freezer okay and then i'm done with albert football for the rest of of this week i'm joking we'll still have to talk about south carolina of course
2: which Um, i'm dreading yeah yeah all right (laughs) anyway
1: okay so offense didn't run the ball well but on the flip side the passing game was good and so for folks out there critical with this offense right now critical of Mike Bobo I think he's done a good job with the offense this year I haven't loved 100% of everything I've seen from the offense but let's also wheel this thing back to last year what percentage of things did you like about the offense last season
2: I would say closer to zero
1: (laughs) (laughs) and so my thing is there have been things that Bobo and Harson have introduced to this offense that I think have made it better and have set it up for success in the long term you can see tangible improvement at the quarterback position with Bo Nix. You can't lie. You can see tangible improvement at the quarterback position with Bo Nix. Since the Georgia State game, really since the LSU game, I should say, after you made a shift at wide receiver, you can see tangible improvement at the wide receiver position in a scheme that is helping these wide receivers be successful. Mm-hmm. Okay, You just needed a position coach that was going to help them get there, and they obviously got that with Keysaw. You have seen tangible improvement in those areas. The offensive line is pass protecting a lot better this year than it did last year. You've seen tangible improvement there. Area where it's regressed: running the ball. And I tried to. I was. I was thinking about that all game long on Saturday. I was like, why have things regressed in run blocking? Why is Auburn having such a difficult time with run blocking this year when it's virtually the same offensive line? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different. I mean, Tayshon Manning and Alec Jackson obviously aren't starting, so you've made some. You've made some differences on the left side of the line, but the right side of the line, you improved it with Keandre Jones, I think, and Bradarius Ham has still been there. Nick Broms is still your center. Your left guard is Brandon Council, so you move him over to the left side to try and help the strong that that be a stronger side than it was last year. And then I think Troxel has been minutely better than what you had, or, or a little bit better
2: than what you had. At left tackle, oh, he's way he's way better than Out Jackson, in my opinion. Okay, well, uh, well, not way better. He's better.
1: We think that the overall personnel of the O line has improved. So why is run blocking a problem right now? That's what I'm trying to figure out. And you can't say, well, teams are you know stacking the box, and I, and I think to a degree they are, but at the same time, they also have to respect the passing game because Auburn's starting to gash people through the air, and if you're pass protecting pretty well, from here out. I I just, I I don't know. Do you make changes on the O-line to help the run blocking? The scheme's not going to change. We're at the end of the year. It's too late.
2: That's not going to change. Here's what worries me. I don't know if Auburn has the offensive lineman to plug in. Yeah, you don't know if you have the depth. Because of the depth and the, the lack of recruiting. Also, you're talking about the, the passing game, gashing people. Newsflash for everybody. Auburn's fifth in the SEC in passing yards per game, something I've not seen in forever. And we were talking about this Hello. team aver- averaging over 250 passing yards per game, and it hasn't happened since like 2004. 256.9. It's going up. It's going up. Every single game is progressively going up. Now is the running game kind of just slowly kind of declining? Sure, but at least it's still there. Auburn's still averaging almost 176 yards on the ground. So, I mean, this team, from a yardage standpoint, is getting theirs. And it's in a place where a lot of Auburn fans have been really frustrated. The past They scored 34 points last week. Right, and wouldn't you know it, Auburn has probably their worst group of receivers they've had in maybe a decade or so it's been it's been a very long time since they've had a group of receivers that is just so inexperienced and just not not there
1: collectively but yet again somehow the running game kills Auburn because they needed it down the stretch to finish the game you needed it to be able to churn clock you needed it to be able to punctuate drives with touchdowns and they couldn't do it the passing game was getting you conversions and then of course there were some special teams mishaps as well like a blocked field goal and whatnot if you had the field goal and then or if you even made the long one before the half which that's going to be tough but i know it was a 56 yarder but if you had one of the field goals that you missed on saturday all of a sudden that two-point conversion that we were talking about earlier all of a sudden that doesn't even matter because you're within one possession and so that's that's it's a combination of everything on saturday the offense the offense should have finished the defense shouldn't have given up 40 unanswered the special team shouldn't have had a litany of penalties and mishaps right like just nothing really went right with about four minutes left in the second quarter on just nothing went right and i don't know how that happens and i don't even know if this coaching staff knows how that happens like that's a really difficult question to ask somebody it's like how did you blow a 28 to 3 lead because they probably don't know and if they did know they wouldn't have allowed it to happen right and I, and I think that's feasible, and I don't think that's a knock on them as coaches. I just think sometimes stuff happens, and people want explanations, and people feel like they're entitled to explanations. But at the end of the day, I just think sometimes stuff happens. Right. And that may have been Saturday. Stuff happens. Now the question is, moving forward, and I hate to see articles like this. I hate to see it, but it, it's, it's definitely the story going into the week. And Brian Harson mentioned it in his press conference, and I hate that it even came up. But he mentioned that the task from here out is keeping morale and the coaches know it and i respect the fact that you're transparent enough to say that you know because that's a reality i think we were all thinking that leaving the ball game yep but now you've reached a point two weeks ago you controlled your own destiny how over the span of two weeks did you control your own destiny and now you're at a point where you're trying to keep the locker room
2: it's been you know for this season we talk about different things kind of having and just an auburn vibe to them you said that you kind of felt that going into this season. Oh baby we've gotten it. It has been a roller coaster. We thought that maybe microcosm. They, the, we've thought that maybe things would just kind of even out here as the, the back half of the season unfolded No. <laughs> no. In fact they've
1: jerked around even
2: more. Yeah, I think so. Also talking about the just real quick about the running game, just looking at the numbers. They are 10th in the SEC in rushing attempts per game, but they're fifth in the SEC in yards per attempt. This, this offense is just simply not running the ball a lot, and when they are, I would argue that they're still not even having just a, a ton of success on the ground.
1: Just got to be able to finish. Yep. But uh, once again, I go back to this, just a, just a mixture of issues. Mixture of issues, and uh, I just – I don't know how you – and honestly, it probably comes down to personnel and execution a lot of times. There's been several games this year. I think you could put a lot of execution in the a game. They just didn't execute very well. I don't. I I didn't hate a whole lot of Auburn. What they came into the game plan with, because they were up twenty eight to ten. They executed the game plan so well in the first half. You got exactly where you wanted to be. Just you didn't fix things in the second half. Everything just kind of slipped away. I mean, it, it really is just so mind boggling. It's so difficult, almost an unsolvable problem, from what happened on Saturday that like I almost just kind of want to like just say look th- it was that weird like I, I, don't, I just don't think that you can say one thing was the reason why Auburn lost or two things or even three things I think it's just like man they lost a crazy game
2: that happens I have a question for you here looking at Auburn's losses that they've had this season in the Penn State game I would say it was a lack of execution uh in certain aspects that really held them out of that ball game I'd also say said. it's early in the year you know you look at the Georgia game they weren't going to lose that they weren't going to win that game rather but execution execution passes would have certainly helped Texas A&M execution look at this past game Mississippi State I would say adjustments on the defensive side of the ball but still I think you could look at certain areas and say execution special teams and different places like that where you have to just simply execute better how much of this do we put on the coaching staff and how much of this do we put on it's year one
1: mississippi state game specifically all of it oh, okay i'm gonna tackle mississippi state game first and then i'll go to all of it this game responsibility versus execution or coaching staff man they executed so well in the first half no. i gotta put it like you blow 28 to 3 lead coach has got to take responsibility on that one that yep. shouldn't happen um so I, I would say in that instance i would say that penn state game it's so early in the year you know they they hadn't really developed a whole bunch. You know what I mean. And so like I kind of I kind of to a degree excuse execution in that one, but also I didn't love some of the things that they did in terms of calls, like the fade routes, and then. The fact that they did the the reverse pass to open up the second half. But then again, if that play works, if Kobe Hudson doesn't drop it and Kobe Hudson takes off up the sideline, how different is that football game, you know? So like I think a lot of that early on is execution in the Penn State game. And just part of that's just they, you know, the players hadn't developed to that point yet. So that's why they weren't executing. Same with the Georgia game. But you gotta give this coaching staff, I think, a ton of credit for pulling this team along from where they were at the start of year to where they are now and some folks are going to say to what i just said there they're going to be like they just they've lost two straight and they, they've lost them in horrible ways correct but i do think that this team still i believe that this team is better right now
2: than they were at the end of
1: the georgia state game
2: so let's say auburn score. i'm just going to go through here real quick Let's say Auburn scores on that drive uh, in the Penn State game when they run that trick play. I'm not saying they score on that specific play. I'm saying they score on that drive because there was a massive game if gain, if not a touchdown, to be had on that specific play. Yeah. Then Auburn, whenever they go to run the fade, they're not running a fade. They're kicking a field goal to win it. So there's that. There's an opportunity where Auburn could have had a better chance to win the football Execution. game. Execution. Texas A&M. We've talked about how they could have potentially won that game by simply running the football. After Anders missed, made, made, could have made a field goal to make it six to three. It was so a thirty-three
1: an, yard field goal. It's not like we're talking about a fifty-two. It's no. a
2: thirty-three. So your one loss is to Georgia, you 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 lost to a, to the better team on that day. So there's your loss. Lost to the best team. If you hold on to your 20, 28 to three lead, there there's opportunity for this team to currently have only one loss this season. So I think a lot of it has to do with the way that Auburn is executed in certain areas. And I think part of it is also just, look, it's just not been a good day for the coaching staff. It's just not been d- good play calls here and there. But if that is, as this as this team, as this program in year one starts to put things together, moving down the line, I think in years two, three, four, and five, if they get the recruits that they want and they really start to gel with each other, you're looking at those games where you don't fumble on the road at Penn State you you make that 33 yard field goal against Texas A&M you don't choke a 28 to 3 lead at home so I I definitely think that while it may be a disappointing situation that we're in there have been things for Auburn that have just simply not gone their way this this season where in in years past it feels like you know those opportunities would have been there
1: Auburn used all the mojo up in the Georgia State and LSU games (laughs) it's just about I I, I look man I uh, for real, like when you were saying all that, I was like, "Wow, Auburn really hasn't caught that many breaks this year." Well, this is
2: <laughs> no. I was, I was to your point. Is what I was saying.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, like Auburn hasn't caught that many breaks this year. It's like, yes, in the LSU game. There were some crazy things that happened in that game with Bo, but like also Auburn had to earn that. That's you know, true. Auburn had to go out there and earn that win in Death Valley. It's not like I mean, there there was the crazy pass to Fromm in the end zone, but. I don't know if I'd say that there was a ton of like lucky breaks in that game for Auburn or anything like that just, or fortuitous
2: instances. Auburn just straight up won that game.
1: And then in the Georgia State game, I also don't know if you'd say there were a ton of fortuitous instances. I mean, like, TJ Findlay seeing Shedra Jackson wide open in the back of the end zone, that may be the one spot in that game where I'm like, yeah, that was a fortuitous break. But the fact that Auburn was in that position in that game in itself would tell you, yeah, man, this team really
2: hasn't caught a ton of breaks this year. Where's the luck gone? Malzahn took it with him (laughs) and he didn't take it to UCF so I don't know where it is right now so I'm not saying that Auburn oh the reason Auburn has won in the past is because they've gotten lucky it's just look Oh, you need you need good bounces you need the ball to bounce your way sometimes and any coach will tell
1: you that the the key one of the major keys to winning a national championship in college football and this is just the truth Georgia would tell you this Alabama would tell you this any of these coaches would tell you this of course you need to have a great team that can win independently of it but every coach is going to tell you that you need the ball to bounce your way because Alabama had one of the best teams under Nick Saban if not the best team under Nick Saban in 2013 and uh let me tell you about a kicker that couldn't get the ball to bounce his way through an upright
2: which is just wait for for Cade Foster in that situation just fall apart again it's just sometimes you need things to go your way and this season you know I think people outside the program would really start to complain about officiating in certain areas for Auburn this season but I would just like to say I think there is there the amount of penalties that have gone Auburn's way that don't necessarily seem fair or calls that have gone Auburn's way I think there's the there's an equal amount of things that have happened against Auburn and a lot of them happened against Mississippi State this weekend
1: well Tim Tebow had a tweet did you see it this past yes. weekend where he said that targeting has really affected Auburn's season this year that's true happened in the Penn State game directly affected the next week against Georgia State talk about how tough that run defense was for a half or you know really half and a half three quarters you know like Mm -hmm. I just I'm with you I think there's been a lot of things now that you think about it just Auburn has not caught many breaks this year and then the, the Mississippi State game is a microcosm of that with some of the officiating decisions that may have been by the book but still I hate the rule it's a dumb rule bad rule what even is targeting what even is targeting? We'll be back on the other side of this break. You're listening to On The Line. Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you for the final five minutes of the Monday edition of the show. A grieving show, but we are almost there to the end of it. The book is almost in the freezer, if you will. Saw that episode of Friends recently when Joey puts the scary books in the freezer that's what i'm trying to do with this past weekend of football but final takes that's how we're gonna end the show today final takes anything going on in the sports world anything that you got to take on let's roll
2: well i'll say just it's just auburn related i'm just very curious to see how this, this season wraps up without your quarterback and without your starting kicker, who we've not really we've not talked about. Uh, I don't I don't think uh, a lot on today's show. Anders Carlson is going to be out for the season as well with a knee injury that he suffered on that onside kick attempt that Auburn had late in the Mississippi State game. Just wondering how Auburn's going to finish. Uh, I think is one of the things that I'm taking away uh, from uh, from this past weekend.
1: Let's head to the phone lines here. This will be our last call for the show. Squeezing in here before we get out of here. 334-321-1390. Matt with us on the line. Matt, how's it going?
4: Going well. Um, Probably the most frustrated I've ever been in a football stadium besides the Auburn High School collapse of this past year. Um, <laughs> I am very conflicted on if Horson's going to be a good coach or not. Um, I feel like this collapse is very similar to the LSU collapse that we had with Gus except for it's slightly worse because it's at home um I don't know I was just very confused with all the emotions going on right now and not too sure what to think of the future of the Alberta football program
1: and I agree with you confused is okay but trying to make conclusions and I'm not saying that you're doing this but my response to what you're saying is don't even try and draw conclusions of it it's just year one be patient I don't even know if I'd make conclusions after next year because I think recruiting has to build out for him too. I think he's going to be a good coach, but then again, I also don't want to draw conclusions either because it's also only been one year and I don't know if there's enough to say that that's even true. So, I think they've done some good things this year. I've also think there's been some bad things this year. Um all in all, I think the team got better from start to finish. And so, I I hope that he can do that from the start of his career, take take the product that he had at the beginning and then you know four years from now I hope we can say the program's in a better place than where it was when he took over
4: it'll be very interesting to see the team's fight if and when or excuse me, when we get in a bowl game compared to the mm-hmm. previous coaching
1: and then on top of that you talk about fight how this team responds this weekend on the road against south carolina That i'll tell you a lot about his ability to motivate players and yeah, i mentioned right. that back in the lsu game with uh after coming off the georgia state game was like we were going to find out a lot about what this culture looked like and uh, i think you're going to find out a little bit more about this culture going into columbia all right thanks guys appreciate it matt that was matt on the line with us. yeah th- i think that's going to be my final take getting out of here today as well i know you're touching on that a little bit but uh, about how they respond and whatnot but it's about the culture the fact that there's articles out there and that he's talking about and he being brian harson is talking about you know trying to keep the locker room and trying to get them to respond and trying to get them to keep fighting and finishing this year the motto about this team is finish that that has been one of the major you know major bulletin points of this team is has preached all year long is finishing and being tough and disciplined and playing auburn football and yada 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 auburn has to do that now even when you're kicked in the teeth and they got kicked in the teeth they got I mean it, it, that that is a terrible loss they've had two terrible losses in back-to-back weeks as I said earlier they went from controlling their own destiny and having their best win of the season against a one loss Ole Miss team to all of a sudden now being fifth in the SEC West and wondering if you can keep the locker room now we find out about this culture now we find out about how good of a motivator Brian Harsin is
2: exactly and that's what that's what we were we're all we're all kind of just touching on the same thing is like how does this team respond and I think what he was saying there is, is something that I'm also curious about specifically, not just this weekend, but in the bowl game in years past, Auburn doesn't really feel, it doesn't really seem like they've either wanted to be there or they've just like, they've kind of run out of gas, I guess, in certain bowl games. So I wonder what the motivation is going to be whenever Auburn gets to the Music City Bowl or something like that. What is the response from the team going to be? So, But, it, but like you mentioned, Noah, it starts this weekend against South Carolina and again I'm just I'm dreading that game right now I'm not happy to uh to uh to see that game unfold I'm very worried on the flip side as I've put the book in the freezer I'm gonna say this tomorrow morning
1: I will have a fresh outlook and I probably will be excited about the South Carolina game this weekend and here's my reasoning Bo was awesome at quarterback I loved having him at quarterback I wish he was still playing quarterback so I need to preface what I'm about to say so that people don't misconstrue it I really, you know, I, I hate it for him. And I wish he was still playing QB. I wish he didn't get hurt. I'm kind of curious to see what the future of Auburn football looks like. What does Auburn have behind him? You know, let's see what that looks like. You're going to you're gonna learn a lot about Auburn on Saturday. And just the prospect of learning something about this team this late in the season, it's intriguing. It's intriguing. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.